Uh, we're in First John chapter 2. Um, we're in a, on a series right now that I've been calling Greater Than, and it comes from 1 John chapter 4, where it says, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And we're going to explain that later, um, the context of that, because that's an often quoted verse, but it's not all the time uh, understood in the context that it's in. But, um, but uh, we're in 1 John chapter 2 this morning, and I was going to cover 13 verses, which was a big chunk, and this morning I decided to cut it down to three verses, and uh, so I kind of reformatted every, everything this morning uh, just so that we can dig in a little deeper to these three verses. Um, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that John the Disciple, he's, he's um, the one who wrote this letter. Um, John the Disciple, in his gospel but that bears his name, uh, the Gospel of John, he often refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. And you might think about that as, as was, so was that pridefulness that he said that? Is, was that arrogance, the disciple that Jesus loved, as though he didn't love the other disciples? And it might be easy um, to read it that way. Even Charles Spurgeon suggested that, uh, and here's a quote from Spurgeon, upon the mountain of the Savior's love, there was a little knoll that was a little higher than the rest of the mount, and there John was made to stand nearest to the Lord. I hate to suggest that um, Charles was wrong, but... Uh, but it's possible that there's another explanation. The author Michael English suggests that John was reminding himself of Jesus' love. He never uses his own name in that gospel that bears his name. Instead, he says, he, he refers to himself as the beloved disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I'd like to suggest that when he was referring to himself in that way, that it wasn't arrogance, it wasn't presumption. Instead, he was reminding himself that he was loved, and he was inviting all of us to see ourselves in the same way. That we are the people that Jesus loves, that, that we can actually say as, as, hey, I am the one that Jesus loves as a reminder that he is the one who loves us, even when we don't feel like we're all that lovable. John saw himself as the one that has been loved, that he called himself the one whom Jesus loved. Here's where I do agree with Spurgeon. He says, it is a matchless privilege and an unspeakable honor to enjoy the love of Jesus. Even if you feel like you're just the rank and file in the armies of love, our Lord's love for each of us has in it immeasurable heights and unfathomable depths. It surpasses knowledge. And so you are loved by God. And John um, said that out of the love that, that we've experienced from God, we should love one another. In fact, he said that it's one of the distinguishing characteristics of, of the believer's life is, is, that, is that because we are loved, that we will love one another. And, and Jesus, he, he's really building off of Jesus' words, is, is, is love one another as I have loved you. By this, they will know that you are mine love one another. That said, there is a kind of love that God hates. There is a kind of love that God hates. I didn't say it. John did. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. 
For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Here's a story that might resonate for us, given that the time that we're in right now, there was a group of first graders that were taking a tour of a hospital and they were walking around and going from place to place and the nurse was showing them everything that goes on in a hospital. And at the end of the tour, the nurse asked the question is, hey, does anyone have any questions? And one of the first graders raised their hand and said, hey, why is it that the people around here wash their hands so much? And she said, um, giving the best answer that she could, well, I guess they love health and they hate germs. That's something that we can understand these days, right? There's a kind of love that God hates. It's a tainted love. It's a love that manifests itself as good, but it's rotten. One might ask the question is, why can't we love the world? Doesn't God love the world? I mean, 1 John 3.16 is, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. So God so loved the world, and yet we're told by John, in John 3.16 he says that God loved the world, but then he's telling us to not love the world. So what's up? And it's actually a little bit complicated But here's the quick answer. God has a generous love. God's generous love does love the world. He created it. He still sustains it. He sees every nook and cranny of the world. And there will be a day when he redeems the world. That said, the world is not as he created it in the beginning. It is now affected by the fall And there is a worldly system that is a part of the world that he did not create. There is a worldly spirit that is at work that resists his goodness. Which I think is why John brings out in the fourth chapter, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So there is a a spirit... That's, that's really the enemy of God and all of his goodness, but there's also a spirit, just this general atmosphere that is not a part of the way that God created the world. It resists God. So what does it mean to not love the world? When we were talking about this this last week, um, Kyle made the point that it's pretty black and white, but then he asked the question, Hey, does that mean that we can't love sporting events? So we flipped the question a little and then we asked, what does the Bible tell us that we can enjoy? And I think that as we read through scripture, we find out is is that there's, there's so many good things that God has given us that we can enjoy. For instance, relationships. If you follow Jesus through the Gospels, one of the things that you recognize is that he really did love people and he loved spending time with people. In fact, he spent more time on the road going from place to place and spending time with people and spending time in people's homes and sometimes even at parties, and he was criticized for it, than he ever spent in the synagogue. He loved spending time with people. 
He was even criticized for spending so much time with people, particularly a certain kind of people. But relationships were really important. And and I think that we could say is, is that because relationships are important to Jesus, they should be important to us also. But you even extend that into the whole arena of work. As the disciples were fishermen. But then also is is all of the other kinds of work that we see in Scripture. And and one of the things that we see is, is that work is commended by God. In fact, he said, work for six days and on the seventh day rest. And it was commended to us as a good thing. And then family. Family is held in high honor by God. And when you think about it is, is as we see the disintegration of the family in culture today, why would the enemy not attack the family unit? Since God holds it in such high honor. So when does football become loving the world? The initial answer that we came up with is is when football becomes more important than worshiping God. It actually becomes the object of worship. I think I heard idolatry in there. When it becomes, and it could be anything, as as you can throw any activity in there that becomes more important than our worship of God. Kyle said this, he said, if you love something, you will make a way for it. If you don't, you will make an excuse for it. He stole it from someone else, but I'll quote him. If you love something, you will make a way for it. If you don't, you'll make an excuse. What do you make excuses for? I know that I should pray, but. I know that I should read scripture, but. Or just fill in the blank. God has given us all kinds of things. He's given us all kinds of things that feed us spiritually. Even rest and recreation, God has given to us as good gifts. Is God isn't against rest and rec- recreation. I mean, just that whole thing is, is I've given you six days, but on the seventh day, I want you to rest and I want you to enjoy um, being uh, with each other and enjoy worship. And it's interesting because if you look in scripture, one of my professors used to say is, is that if you look at the word pray and the word play in the original language, the original biblical language, you can hardly tell the difference. That they're so close in the same root word that you can hardly tell the difference. That, that that pray and play, that there's an interaction that happens there that can both honor God in really significant and good ways. Sometimes I think that when we read scripture, um, we read it as though um, Jesus is kind of grumpy and that he never smiles and that he never laughs. But I think you can read scripture and I, I think that he's making fun of the disciples half the time in a good way. And so when John and James um, come to him and they're angry because the Samaritan villages refuse to accept Jesus, they're so ticked off that they say, should we call down fire upon those, on, on those villages? And Jesus kind of 
I can imagine that he laughs and he says, oh, you guys, you're like sons of thunder. You're all noise. Take it easy, <laughs> okay? Easy, boys, easy. He almost could have said, "Is what if I treated you the same way you want to treat them every time you, you know, get out of line? But I, I think that Jesus had a lot more fun than the way that we sometimes read scripture. God has given us all kinds of things for us to enjoy. It's when we take that enjoyment to a level where we begin to replace those things with what's really important. And when we indulge in those gifts excessively. One of the things that John says here is that there are inner desires that are a gateway to sin. It's these lusts, these strong desires that can result in sinful actions. John gives us a hint of what he means by the world or the spirit of the world. He um, uses the word lusts and pride to help us understand the spirit of the world. There are two kinds of lust, and then there's pride. There's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Paul gives us an idea of what the lust of the flesh is all about. In Galatians 5, 19 through 26, he says, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sounds like a good TV show, huh? You know, I've been thinking about this a little bit lately because um, just even as Kim and I watch TV, we've, we've noticed lately that often the TV shows throw in some of this stuff that Paul was talking about right here. It's not even a part of the plot, but it's been thrown into the shows because Hollywood knows things like is that sex sells and it keeps people interested. And um, we even tried to watch um, what would have been a kid's show. Um, There's a a book series um, that I'd read when I was a kid and I thought is, well, surely this must be safe. And I was um, shocked at how much was thrown in there that was so non-essential to the plot because it's not about the plot anymore. It's about sex and all kinds of other stuff. And so we find ourselves watching Cake Boss. It's pretty bad when you're binge watching Cake Boss. It's actually pretty good. (laughs) There's some creativity there. Sorry, I'm not promoting anything. (laughs) So, but the lust of the flesh. It's so much in our world appeals to the lust of the flesh. And you know what? It's been that way since the beginning of creation. It really has. In Genesis, when you find that um, Adam and Eve are, are being deceived, is, is what does the deceiver appeal to? He appeals to the lust of the flesh. Is that desire 
the lust of the eyes. It looks good. It looks pleasing. And the pride of life, it'll give you wisdom and you will become like God. Paul tells us, he distinguishes the acts of the flesh from the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And you know, that's such a good criteria is, is when you're thinking about it, is, is that how do, how do we know whether we're walking in step with where God would have us be is, is, is we might just ask ourselves the question is, is, um, is it loving? Is it joyful? Is it full of peace? Forbearance is patience. Is there kindness involved? Is there goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Because Paul writes, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. The lust of the eyes reminds us that usually the eyes are the gateway for sin. And it just doesn't mean what we can see, but it's also what we perceive from the world because you can be blind and still full of sin. That, that seeing or that perceiving can still be the gateway of sin into our lives. How can you know what, what might be an area of sin? Another way to know what might be an area of sin is to ask, what's most valuable to me right now? In Luke chapter 12, there was an individual that came to Jesus and said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. And then a few verses later, in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or about your body and what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Now, are food, is food important? Absolutely. Are clothes important? Absolutely. And Jesus isn't saying that they're not important, but he's saying your life is not your food and your life is not your clothes. Your life is so much more than that. So don't put those things first. And then in verse 31, he says, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. And then he, he says, and, and this is just uh, some encouragement, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do you know that he has given you access to the greatest gift that you can ever have? He's offered you his whole kingdom and then he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, so many of the things that we have are things that only last for a little while. You know, that idea of the moth, um, the moth, 
eating or the thief stealing. Quite a few years ago, um, I'd just gotten uh, a Toyota pickup, a four-wheel drive Toyota pickup, and it's been a long time since I'd had a decent vehicle, and so I bought new seat covers for it, and uh, new tires and new seat covers, and I was putting the seat covers on because the seats had been pretty worn, and, uh, and I was putting them in, and, um, and I was tightening it, and Kim came into the garage, and just as I kind of did that one last tightening on it, I ripped the sh- seat cover, and, uh, and I got really angry. And my very loving wife um, said just the right thing at the wrong time. She said, that'll teach you not to love the things of the world. I wasn't very happy with her at the time. (laughs) But you know, we do. We end up loving the things that are transitory, that last for a little while, and then they rip or they break or they get stolen. But there are greater things. And it's helpful for us to ask, what are we treasuring right now? Jesus' encouragement was give away the transitory things. Give it away now while you have the opportunity. And, and, and I want to put this in context because it doesn't mean that you can't have things, that you can't have nice things, that you can't have a nice home. But the idea is, is that you will provide for your family and you'll, you'll, um, you'll provide um, for the basic needs that you have, but that you'll always live on less than what you could so that those things don't become idolatry in your life and that you will give away as much as you can to help others who have much, much less. And so take, away, take care of those things in life. Take care of your family. Have a home. That's all good. But never let those things become idols. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will fall into the right place. I, I love it. I, I forget the name of the guy. Maybe you saw this news article recently about the billionaire whose goal was is to give it all away before he died. And uh, it, it said, is, is in, it said you know, whatever his name is, is, he has successfully given away everything. He has, he's living in an apartment as he nears the end of his life. Um, but, the, but the truth is, is you can still do that and do it for all of the wrong reasons. But if you're doing it because you realize that there's better things to come, that there is a better kingdom than any kingdom that we can have in the world, um, because you can be the Bill Gates or the, you know, all of these very wealthy people that are seeking to give away, I think, 90% of their wealth, which for Bill Gates, that 10% is still a lot. But if it's, it's not because you're more interested in the kingdom of God than the kingdoms of the world, it's still misplaced. It's hard for us to be content with what we have. Most of us struggle with thinking, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had what so-and-so has, then I would be happy. And everyone with a little bit more 
would probably tell you is, is, yeah, I thought that too, but I have a little bit more. And sometimes I think if I had a little bit more, I'd be happy. Where is your treasure? Is it something that can be stolen? Does it go out of date after a few months? Your desires are a good indication of where your heart is. This week I was on a Zoom call with Tony Stoltzfus. Um, He's a really neat guy. He's written 11 books. Um, He's a Christian leadership coach. And he said something really interesting. He said that while we were on the call, he said, is, is right now there's a fire five miles away from where my last house burnt down five years ago. And, uh, you know, there's all of these fires in California. And then he said um, something that was also interesting. He said is, is that when his house burned down, it was one of the hardest times of his entire life. His best friend had actually um, died. He was dealing with that. His house burns down. So discouraging. But regarding his house burning down, he said something interesting happened. After the weight of the fire, he began to realize how many things he had that he actually didn't need. And he felt a sense of freedom. The flesh tells us that we need all kinds of things. I want to suggest that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life are are things that we need to be aware of and that we also need to seek to overcome them in our own lives. It's not easy. It's not easy. I trust me, I understand. I like my toys, especially electronic toys and I like gadgets and all of that kind of stuff. There, there's all of these trinkets that can attract any of us, and you, you've got to decide what that is for you. It's not easy to be content and really to avoid the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, but there is something that we can do first as an act of faith and then as a way of life. And remember, these things, they, the, the, the overall term that describes all of this is worldliness, worldliness and that it leads to it leads us to make sacrifices in every area of life it it leads us to taking shortcuts do you realize that all of the good things that god has given us that we can take shortcuts to get those things and they can just bring hurt and pain into our lives so the term that we're given is worldliness jesus warned us that worldly desires will choke out the fruitfulness in our in our spiritual lives So there's this parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, the farmer goes out and he sows seed. And then he says, and then Jesus says, some people are like the seed that falls on the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes like a bird. I I threw in there like a bird, but, and takes it away before it has any chance And then there's a second kind of seed, and it's the seed sown on rocky places, and it's people that hear the word and they receive it with joy, but there's there's so little soil there 
that it springs up, but then it burns away. They have no root. It's there for a short time. Trouble comes, persecution comes, and it falls, the people fall away. And then other people, they're like seeds sown among the thorns. But the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth and desires and other things come and they choke out the word of God, making it unfruitful. You see, the word of God, it it can come into your life, but if you're chasing wealth, if you're chasing the comfort that this world can provide, then it will choke out the fruitfulness that God has for you. But then there's the seed that's sown on good soil. It's people who hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. The person who's caught up in the things of this world is caught up in things that will pass away. Even love can be shallow. Lady Gaga, a couple of years ago, um, had a song called Shallow. And it was literally referring to the shallow things of life. And so some of the lyrics are, tell me something, girl, are you happy with the modern world or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? In the good times, I find myself longing for change and in the bad times, I fear myself. Tell me something, boy, ain't you trying to fill that void or do you need more? Ain't you trying to keep it so hardcore? I'm falling In all the good times, I find myself longing for change, and in the bad times, I fear myself. I'm off the deep end. Watch as I dive in. I'll never meet the ground, crash through the surface where they can't hurt us. We're far from shallow now, in the shallow, in the shallow. We're far from shallow now. And it's interesting because that became a hit song. It really resonated with um, a, a large portion of the culture. And as the lyrics go, the whole idea is that crashing through the superficial friendships and relationships in life to dive into more authentic relationship. But, but really, is, is it's, still, it's still not quite there because we're invited not to dive into just a relationship, a worldly relationship of some kind, but we're invited to dive into a deep, authentic relationship where we're fully known and fully loved by God. And all other loves that there are, any other, even any other relationship that this world can provide us, all of the other loves that they are, are often a substitute for the best kind of love. And all of those other loves that are a substitute are the kinds of love that John calls worldly, the kind of love that God hates. And so if I were to give a title, is is we're on a series, Greater Than is the series, is love, capital L, is greater than love, lowercase l. And all of the loves that this world has are less than the love that God invites us in to. And it's, you know, it's, it's not only that, but, you know, John says the world and its desires pass away. 
just even being able to say is, is, Lord, is this a desire in me right now that is a substitute for what you have? And then it says, but the man, the woman who does the will of God lives forever. Substitute. Something that will pass away, something that's transitory or something that's eternal. Is when we find ourselves pushing into the will of God and loving what God loves, we find what really lasts And maybe all of those substitutes are really just substitutes for seeking the best thing. C.S. Lewis said something. He said, being in love is a good thing, but it's not the best thing. There are many things below it. There are also things above it. You cannot make, and I would say, the loves of this life the basis of a whole life. So what's the solution? In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And then he says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What does Paul mean when he says, For you died? for you died. In another place, um, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so there's this picture is, is there's this picture of us dying and I, and I think is, is what is that all about? And the only thing that I can figure out is, is that when I was at that point in life where I had to make a decision and I had to decide whether life was going to be about me or whether it was going to be about something more. And, and I heard this whole picture of Jesus stepping out of heaven and becoming a person and living this perfect life but still dying on the cross as a sinner for me. And I was invited to trust him that there had to be this sense in which is, is that I came to the Christ and I said, is, is thank you, Jesus. And the life that I would live for myself, I don't want to live for myself. And it's almost like is, is that he, he died on the cross, but he also said is, is take up your cross and follow me. And when he said that to his disciples, they didn't understand it at the time, but anyone who takes up their cross knows that that's the end of their life. If you take up a cross during that time period, you are going to die. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. And so recognize that if you live life on your own terms, then it is a life apart from me. But if you, if you take up the cross, if you die to yourself, and that's the picture that we have, we're invited to die to ourselves so that we can live for God and live to God. Jesus said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. That's the whole, okay, I give up and I give you my life. And the old life that I would live for the lust of the flesh and the, the lust of the eyes and 
and the pride of life. I give it up. And so what Paul is saying is, is, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me and the life that I now live in the body. I live for him. And in another place is, is um, the old is gone, the new has come. But it is a new life. Deny yourself. Die to self. There's something about saying no to yourself and yes to God that changes everything. Now, it happens first when we put our faith in Jesus. And then it happens every day. Every day as we, as we kind of go through life, and sometimes we say it on the back end of, of being selfish or struggling with some area of sin, as is just that saying, as is, hey, Lord, um, I did what I wanted to do again. And all it does is make me feel guilty and make me feel like I failed, and I'm sorry. And so, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. And sometimes it's when we start the day, and we just say, hey, Lord, if I were to do the day on my own, I'd do things that I shouldn't do that don't honor you. And so, Lord, I, I just need your help to live the best kind of life. And so help me to do that. This doesn't mean that we can't enjoy life. What it means is is that we recognize that everything that we have, every gift that we have, every good thing that we have can be misused and misaligned and can become an idol in our life. That we think we need more than we need God. And so when we recognize that those good gifts come from him, one of the things that this was said to me recently, and I agree with it, is, is every gift that we've been given, we've been given to give away. That we give to our families, that we give to our friends, that we give to the body of Christ, that we give to the world, is that as God brings stuff into our lives and as he fills our cups, we say, thank you, Lord, let me pour a little bit of that out as a blessing to others. Because we have been blessed, we live that blessing out in every area of life. And that we choose not to live as we would if we didn't have Christ in our life. In Romans 6, it says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has any mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. It's just that picture is, is of dying to self. Um, the way the Apostle Paul says it is, I, you know, he, he's saying, I run the race. I discipline my body. He even uses the picture, I beat my body. Not literally, is, is, but I discipline my body so that I can finish the race. I say no to the things that'll hurt me so that I can say yes to God and his goodness. 
and that one day I will finish the race and I will claim the prize that God called me heavenward for. Such an invitation. Let's pray together. Father and Lord God, we just so need you. We live in a world that just, it's, it's so tempting. Every commercial that there is tells us that we need this or we need that. There's so much of life that says that we should just do whatever our eyes find delightful, whatever seems to make us happy. But Lord, if we really did all of that, we would still find that we're unhappy. Father, I pray that you would help us to to die to self and to live to you. Now, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, I just want to encourage you to do that. that there's a sense in which is, is when you come to the cross, you say, Jesus, would you just take away my sin? Would you take away the earthly desires that don't honor you? And would you give me that new life that Paul talks about? Forgive me for all of my sin and be my savior, the savior that you are. And if you've already put your faith in Christ, just that, how can I live for you today, Lord? How can I say no to the lesser loves of the world so that I can say yes to your love? Father and Lord God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Be with us as we go into another week. Help us to remember these things at the right time. We thank you in the name of Jesus, amen.